Morning, how's everybody doing today? Good to see all of you. Let me welcome all those who are watching online as well. Thank you for joining us there. Um, This morning, I had um, welcomed our online guest, assuming that uh, TJ, our uh, drummer who had surgery a few weeks ago, was watching online, and uh, he was not. So just wasted time welcoming TJ. Um, So I was going to do it again in this gathering. And then lo and behold, he walked in the front door this morning. So uh, TJ, it's good to see, good to see you this morning. <laughs> I asked him if he was ready to drum, and before I could get drum, I was like, uh-uh. Like I'm barely able to get out of bed. So uh, good to see you, and thank you, uh, Life Point, for your prayers for him. And uh, just because you saw him this morning doesn't mean you can stop praying for him. He's uh, still got a little ways to go. So, uh, but it is good to see him. Good to see all of you this morning as well. Um, I have an exciting announcement kind of make for you. Um, there's something really cool coming up in a few weeks, and um, some of you may have never experienced this here, and the rest of you are probably going to be surprised by how quickly this is coming, but seven weeks from today is actually Easter. Is that not the craziest thing uh, to imagine is uh, that Easter is almost here? If you've never been a part of Easter at Life Point, I just want you to know you're in for a treat, and uh, I want to get you prepared for that kind of tell you the expectations of what Easter is and uh, get you thinking about it. So around here, we celebrate Easter a little bit differently maybe than where you might have grown up at church if you grew up in church. Um, You know, most everybody comes to church on Easter, um, especially in the South. Um, You know, some of you in the room, you may have grown up and you may have been a Christer. Uh, That's that family that shows up at Christmas and Easter. That might have been you. Um, and that happens because uh, it's a great time. I mean, it's going to be nice weather probably. Spring kind of gets here about the time Easter gets here. And uh, Easter's a great time. Go get you a new outfit and uh, wear it at church. Everybody be impressed with you. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, that doesn't happen a lot. Doesn't happen a lot at Life Point. We don't do many Easter outfits. Now, you're welcome to. Uh, pastels are fine. Uh, you can do that if you'd like. Uh, it just doesn't happen as much around here. In fact, uh, years ago, I had somebody tell me, they were like, there's only one problem with Easter. I'm like, what? And they said, well, we serve all Easter, and you uh, want us wearing these shirts. Say, how can we help you? We don't get to wear our Easter outfit. And I'm like, so I'm saving you money. I'm not sure exactly what the, I'm not sure what you're upset about. But, um, but so here's what we do. Here's what we do at Easter is uh, we believe that that is the best day of the year for us to leverage to invite people who are far from God to hang out with us on a Sunday. Um, Barna Research suggests that 80% of people who don't attend church said they would attend church if somebody invited them. Right? So the pressure of that means all the people that are in your kind of network, your circle of friends who don't attend church, what that tells us, 80% of them are not coming because you haven't asked them. And so we kind of, we do this year round where everything, our growth plan at LifePoint has always been invested in bike. Um, we don't like knock on doors and we don't do a whole lot of Facebook advertising and social media advertising. We just wait for you to invite your friends. We think if you love it here, your friends will probably love it here. You ought to ask them to come. But on Easter, we make a special effort to do that. Okay. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. You got seven weeks. If you're a part of, uh, if you're, if you're a life point, you're like, I'm in, I'm life point. We're going to do a Friday night family gathering so that you can enjoy kind of the Easter weekend because on Sunday, it's, it's work for us, all right? Sunday is like, um, we're here for all of our guests. If you're, if you're part of the LifePoint family, Easter's really not for you. I'm sorry. 
Uh, we'll give you Friday night. Easter is for all of our guests who are going to come. Um, whoever's teaching that morning, whether it's me or Q, uh, we're going to come prepared to talk about the hope that we have because of the resurrection. Um, and that's what we're going we're gonna to talk about. We're, we're going to invite people into relationship with Jesus. Now, here's what that means. That is a very wasted sermon if we don't have people who need to be invited into relationship with Jesus. That's where you come in. you got seven weeks, and this is what I'm asking. Find one person, at least one person who is far from God. Invite them to one of our gatherings. We'll probably do four of them. We'll probably do three on Sunday morning and one on Sunday night. I don't know if that's planned yet, but that's probably what we'll do. You'll have a lot of opportunity. You may say, well, which one should I come to? Well, you should probably be at all of them serving in some way, if at all possible. But the one that you decide to attend, let me tell you which one you attend. It's, it's real easy. Whichever one the person you're inviting wants to come to, you don't get to make that decision. If they're like, hey, 11 o'clock is the most convenient for me, then you need to be parked right here at 11 o'clock waiting on your friend to sit with you. All right. If their most convenient time is the 8 o'clock or whatever time we do that morning, and you're like, I'm not a morning person, that's okay. You're probably a Jesus person, so come show them Jesus by being here at 8 o'clock that morning. And our intent is for us to put as many people far from God in the room and tell them how much we love them, how much we're willing to serve them, and more importantly, how much God loves them and uh, invite them into a relationship with him. So start to work on that. Um, think about who you know that could be here. Invite them. And um, there's an 80% chance they say yes. I mean, most of the men in the room, when you ask your wife out, you have way less than an 80% chance, and you did it anyway. So 80% chance that you won't have to deal with denial. So, man, what, that's great odds. So um, invite, 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 and we'll make that happen. All right? Good deal. Let's pray, and we'll get jumping in this morning's message. God, thank you so much for being uh, a God who loved us enough to send his son to die, uh, to purchase our salvation, to offer it to us as a free gift, to invite us into family to give us purpose and hope and redemption. Um, this morning, I pray that as we open up your word, that you would cause it to come alive, that you would use it to show us what areas of our life we need to adjust and give us the courage to make those adjustments. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, for those of you who may not have been here the last couple of weeks, we kicked off a series two weeks ago called Pray This Way. And um, and it's, kind of, it's a sermon series, obviously, based on prayer, and it's kind of founded on this idea that sometimes I think most of us, me included, feel like we don't really know how to pray. Uh, and I grew up in a church that told me praying was easy. Anybody grew up that way, grew up in a church where they said, hey, praying's easy, all you got to do is talk to God. Anybody ever heard that? And, and what I found was, well, that may be simple, but it's not easy. Because um, a lot of times in my life, my prayers feel like that they're not heard. Or that I must, sometimes I feel like I must be doing something wrong. And so we, we kicked off this prayer series a couple of weeks ago just to kind of talk about what does Jesus say about prayer. And uh, this morning, I got here, I get here about, right around 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings, just kind of my routine, uh, maybe a few minutes before that. And first thing I do, I get out of my truck, I park in the same parking spot every week unless somebody steals it. And um, I get out of my truck, I mean, I'm very routine, I get out of my truck, I open up the back door, I get my bag out, I walk through the back door, down the hallway, into that door, down this aisle, across to here where my TV sits. I get my computer out, I put it on the TV, right? Make sure it's all working. Most of the time that's the case. And then I walk by and I watch the band for a few minutes. That's kind of my routine every single week. 
Well, this week I was watching the band, and I've noticed something over the years. I know you may find this hard to believe. Most of you in the room probably think that I'm a music savant. It's, I'm not. Um, I don't know a lot about music, in fact. I know very little about music. I took piano lessons from my grandmother when I was a kid. Um, I wouldn't say they were voluntary. Um, but if I was at her house, she wanted to teach me how to play. I found it easier to memorize what she was doing, do that so I could go outside and play. So I don't know much about music. But I've noticed that our band does this really interesting thing every week, especially the guitarist. And this is what they do. They plug in. They make a noise. They get this look of pleasure on their face when the noise actually works, and it comes out of the speakers like, oh, yes, another week that it's actually going to work, right? And that's birthed out of years of, on Sunday morning, you weren't sure that was going to happen at LifePoint. Like it was like, there was like demons in our like sound system or something. You know, you didn't know for sure what was coming out of it. Even though you practiced on Wednesday, you didn't know if it was going to be the same or not. Now we've, you know, we've invested in some good, some better technology, and there's still that moment of relief. There's noise. And then they all start doing the same thing. This is what happens, especially the guitarist. They start adjusting their, their strings. And they got this little device. Some of them have it mounted on the end of their guitar. Some of them it's made into these pedals. But they're looking down, and, and they'll, they'll strum that top string. Okay? And then they look. And that top string is supposed to be an E. So they'll strum. And that little device will tell them whether it might be flat. If it's flat, they tighten the string. That, that makes it get closer to the E. It might go, then they'll, they'll, they'll tune it till it gets just over it, and then they'll back it up. And they're looking for precision. And they get the E, then they go to the A, the second string, they do the same thing. And I found out today that it's actually tuned to 440 hertz. And so the, the note that that plays is based on the size of the string. Just point of reference for you if you want to know that. And so they, they calibrate, that's what they do, they're calibrating that. And here's the reason. is so that when they, strum, when they put their fingers on a certain place, on a certain string, and they strum it together, it actually makes what's called a chord, right? Which is another word for sounds good, okay? It sounds pleasant. Now, the reason that they calibrate it the same is so that when that guy or lady makes a sound, that this guy or lady makes a sound, and the guy or lady behind us on the bass guitar makes a sound, and the people sing, it's all in the same key. I know you realize now I really am that musical savant, right? And, and, and here's what happens. It, it leads to harmony. Well, this morning, I think that as we get to a, the, the place that we're at in this thing called the Lord's Prayer, the, model's prayer, the model prayer, I think it's a very interesting place that we're at because I think that what Jesus is trying to teach us is the importance of calibration. In fact, I would say to you that when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, which is found in, in the book of Luke, by the way, isn't it interesting that of all the things the disciple asked to learn about, when they observed Jesus, they didn't ask to learn how to preach. They didn't learn, ask to learn how to do a miracle, how to engage with people. The one thing that they had observed in Jesus that impressed them the most was the way he prayed. And I think that when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples to pray, I think that it's the point that we're at this morning. I think it's the attitude, the behavior of the things that we see in the part that we're in in the model prayer this morning that I think most compelled the disciples to ask this question. You see, in fact, I would say this. As we look at the Lord's Prayer, uh, it's what we call it, the Lord's Prayer. I think it should be better called the model prayer 
But when we look at this template that Jesus gives as he answers the question or answers the request of the disciples teach us to pray, he says, Well, if you want to know how to pray, pray this way. And he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think of all the stuff that Jesus taught us when he taught us how to pray. I think the thing that was probably the most compelling about Jesus is the way that his life demonstrated this part of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, you may find it interesting that I would say that, but I I want you to stay with me. I'm not saying that the rest of the model prayer is not important. Okay, In fact, fact, I would say to you that it is immensely important that you understand that when you come to the, the Lord to pray, when you come to the God of the universe to spend time to have a conversation with him, I think it's immensely important that you understand that God wants the name that comes easily to your lips to be the name Father. I think it's very interesting that although God could demand anything from us in terms of respect, that that the fact that he is God means that he could have said to us, when you pray to me, you call me most holy, sovereign, whatever, potentate. And yet the God of the universe who is above all, there's none who stand beside him, there's none who stand uh, above him, Yet that God says, when you come to me, the name that I want you to come to me with is the name Father. I want you to come to me relationally. I want you to come to me in a spirit of care and concern that that you understand that I care about you, that, that I'm concerned about you, that what breaks your heart breaks mine, what hurts you hurts me, that I can feel what you feel. I think that's immensely important. I also think it's important that we understand that once we acknowledge that our Father is our Father, that God is our Father, that we not just talk to the Father, that at that point then we talk to the Father about the Father. And that we go from a place of relationship to a place of adoration. That we say to him, Lord, your name is hallowed. And again, if you were here last week, you remember this, but it's the idea that we're saying to God, Lord, in my life and in my prayer, be God to me. Help me to understand that even though even though Father's the name that should come easily to my lips, I need to be aware of the fact that you are different. You're the name above every name. And that in my life and in my prayers, I want God to be God. I want, I want you to be in control. I want you to, to, to be imminent in my life. I think that's immensely important. But I think the thing that probably captured the imagination of the disciples in the interest of the disciples is probably not found in Father. I, I think that, I don't, don't know that they were surprised that Jesus addressed the God of the universe as his Father. I, I, think, that, I think they were coming to grips with the nature that he is God, that, that Jesus was God, he was Messiah, he was different. Now, I don't think that it surprised them that, that Jesus saw uh, the Father as his name being hallowed. But I think what, and, and I don't know that give us this day was something that impressed the disciples that Jesus would. I mean, don't we all ask God to give us stuff in prayer? I mean, we didn't have to be taught that, right? In fact, if you were to take inventory like I've taken inventory, I think way too much, too high percentage of my prayers to give me prayers. We know that Jesus never prayed, forgive me of my debts. He didn't have any. And so I think the thing that would have compelled him was this idea of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. You said, Matt, why do you think that? 
I think one of the most compelling, interesting things that we read in the entire New Testament is the moments leading up to Jesus' arrest. The moments where God the, the Son found himself just moments and hours away from, one, from the darkest moment in, hum, in human history. Maybe the darkest moment in, in history in general. That, for, that, that, that he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's asked his friends to pray for him. As they begin to look at him and they see him praying, there's something going on spiritual that is so much deeper than the disciples could ever imagine because Jesus sweating drops of blood. I don't know about you, but I have never been in a place of stress and anxiety to the point that my sweat was actually drops of blood. And yet here's Jesus in the garden moments, hours before his arrest, and he's sweating drops of blood. And what we come to find out is, is that he is just a little ways away from being arrested. He's just hours away from being beaten, a mockery of a trial. They're going to shove a crown of thorns on his head. His body is barely recognizable. Then they're going to make him walk up a hill carrying his own cross where eventually they nail him to that cross and they hang him there where for six hours the life is literally drained out of his body. And it may be the darkest moment of human history is the moment where Jesus actually cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? as it seems as though for a few moments, God, for the only time in eternity past and into eternity future, for the only time, finds himself separated in relationship from his son as he turns his back on the sin that he would lay upon his son for us all. And I think in Jesus' anticipation of those events, he finds himself in a unique situation in the garden. So much so that he prays a prayer that me and you can identify with. And this was his prayer. His prayer was essentially, Lord, I don't think I want to do this. Lord, if there's any, he says to his father, Father, if there is any other way. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, Father, if redemption can come by any other method, if your plan can work in any other way, like I, it's like Jesus saying, look, I know what I'm here for. I'm here to, 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 to join the gap between humanity and God. I'm here to bring people back to God, back to you, Father. And here's the thing. I understand what this is going to require. In a few hours, Jesus was going to endure in six hours what an eternity of unrepentant sinners won't be able to pay for in hell. And as he looks and anticipates that, he says, hey, God, if there's, if, I'm not sure this is what I want to do. I'm not sure this is where I want to go. And if there's any other way, and he says it very poetically, let this cup pass from me. But in the greatest words never ever spoken in human history, he says, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And in that moment, he calibrates his life. He adjusts the strings, if necessary, to calibrate his life to his Father's will, not to his will. Now, here's the crazy thing. 
There's a whole bunch in our life that results in decalibration. I don't know if you're aware of this. I bet you are. But life can be incredibly stressful and chaotic. And every day you wake up to noise and urgency. Have you noticed that? The two things I think that are the most prevalent in our lives is noise and urgency. Noise is all of the things that's trying to capture your attention. And urgency is the things that are telling you it needs to be done right now. In fact, I bet if you were to go home and do a little exercise this afternoon and you write down a list of things that are urgent and things that are important, here's what you will find. The important things are the things that you'll look at and go, this is what I should be doing. And for the most part, the urgency are the things that you are doing. Why? Because they're the loudest in our lives. They're the things that are screaming at us that have to be done. And most of us are sacrificing the important on the altar of the urgent. And we're, we're so affected by urgency and noise. We're so affected by expectations. We're so affected by preconceptions. And unfortunately, we're affected by presumption. You say, what do you mean? I want you to notice this week how many things in your life that you do because you assume that somebody is paying attention and thinks you ought to be doing something. Moms in the room, I, I find this to particularly be the case for you. I, I, I think we, we live in a time when maybe it's social media, it has a lot to do with it. Uh, maybe it's whatever. I'm not sure what it is. But there's like this pressure, I feel like, on moms to be great moms. But that definition of great mom is some moving target out there that nobody really knows what it is. But every mom is presumptuous that there's somebody out there that doesn't think she's being a good one and that she's got to meet some expectation. Uh, and, and it's crazy. It's like we're trying to figure out how to live up to a noise that might not even exist. And, and if you find yourself saying this, well, I bet you they think, and then you fill in the blank. Well, what makes you think that they think? Are you thinking that about other people? And you probably go, I don't ever think that about anybody. And yet, this pressure says that everybody's thinking it about us. And what happens is we wake up already exhausted because of the chaos and the noise in our life and the presumptions that we have that somebody else is assuming something about us, and all this stuff that we just feel like we got to pack into a day to be somebody and to, to impress somebody, and suddenly we're buying things we don't need to impress people we don't like, with money we don't have, and our life just increases in chaos. And then we find ourselves in prayer. And we got to real quickly get to the Lord give me's because our life is so chaotic. It's like, God, I need a break. I need some help. Have you forgot about me? What are you thinking? God, I don't know. I mean, apparently I've got to figure out a better way to manipulate you and a better way to impress you because I'm not getting the results that I want. Now, let me tell you what I've noticed is I've taken inventory of my own prayer life personally is that I spend an unnecessary amount of time in my prayer life assuming that God is naive and easily manipulated and trying to figure out how to use the right words and paint a picture that should impress God so that he will give me what I want. And most of the time, my prayer, if I was going to narrow it down, seems to be, I'm okay with the Father part, Father in heaven. I can, I can just take it one off. Hallowed be your name. See, I'm all right with the hallowed be your name part because I'm like, watch this. I'm going to use words that not everybody knows to show God how hallowed he is. And then he's going to be like, oh, I'm impressed by that guy. 
That way I can get to the God give me's based on your acceptance of me. And I skip the whole part where I calibrate my life and say, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this part of the model prayer is the part of the template that says, God, I acknowledge that because you are my heavenly father and because your name is hallowed, you are more trustworthy than I am. It's the prayer that says, Lord, this is what I'd like to have, but if in any way I ask for something that's not your will, please ignore it. It's the faith part of the prayer that says, Lord, I know what I want, and I'm going to have no problem sharing that, but I may not know what you want, but I want what you want, even if what you want really doesn't feel like that's what I want. So, Lord, I want to calibrate my life to your will and your way. I want to adjust the strings of my life. Because when I adjust the strings and I calibrate my life to your will, my life becomes harmonious. Lord, I want to know. I want to know that your will is what's best for my life. I want to spend, I'm, I'm in, when I'm praying, the, the name that should come easily to my lips is Father. And when I talk to the Father, I should talk to the Father about the Father. But once I've done that, it's my responsibility to talk to the Father about his plan, and not just about my plan. I find it interesting in the garden, Jesus goes, hey, I've got to readjust. It's as though he realized he had every reason to leave the garden and go away from the cross. Or if there's any other way, I don't really want to do this. Nevertheless, when's the last time you had a nevertheless kind of prayer? Well, I, I'm not sure that this is what I want. But if it's what you want, then let what you want be what I want. When he says your kingdom come, I actually think this is a prayer for the future. I think it's a prayer of the recognition that the best thing in our lives is for the, is for the messianic kingdom of Jesus to be set up on earth for that time that we look forward to when he makes all things right. And he's not only king of heaven, but he is king of earth. And this, this looking for, I, I think the prayer, a great prayer for us to get in the habit of praying is this, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But to recognize that the best thing for us is for him to come back and establish his kingdom. But the your will be done is to say, but until that happens, Lord, let your will be done in my life. And here's the funny thing about that. It's easy for us to think of that in here and go, that makes sense. It's a totally different thing altogether when we realize that sometimes God doesn't fix what's broken. He walks through it with us. That sometimes he doesn't bring healing he brings comfort during the brokenness. That sometimes he doesn't make everything right on this side. He makes it all right on the other side. And it's the acknowledgement that, Lord, you know more than I know. And so, therefore, I want to submit my will to your will. You know, it's kind of like the psalmist said, I think it's Psalm 37. I don't know if that's right or not, but for some reason I think it is when he says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desire, or delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. When I was a kid, I used to read that and think, 
Well, if I can convince God in my prayers that I really, really like him, I'm delighting in him, then he'll give me everything I want. And I got a big, long list, right? But actually, when you read the Hebrew in that, when you you look at how the Hebrew is laid out in that passage, it actually says this, that when you find your delight in the Lord, then the things that you want are the things that he wants for you. He changes our desires. Our will becomes his will when we submit to his will. We find ourselves in a place where we realize that the best possible scenario in our lives is to live under the authority and the lordship of Jesus, submitted to his will. The greatest thing that's ever happened in human history was the moment that Jesus said to Telestai, and he paid the debt on the cross, and three days later rose again victorious over death, hell, and a grave, and authenticated that he was who he said he was, and he did what he said he would do. And all of that was only possible because of the moments in the garden when he said, Lord, I'd really like to do it some other way. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. You want know, a bottom line for this morning? I, I would say this. When you talk to the Father, talk to the Father about his plan. You'll find it very easy to talk to the Father about your plan. You'll have to develop discipline to talk to the Father about his plan. To get yourself in a place where you're able to say to the Lord, Lord, You are my father, and your name is hallowed. But before I go any further, I want to calibrate my life to your will. I don't want to play to my own beat. I don't want my strings, I don't want the strings of my life to be untuned and it it result in chaos in my life, but rather, I want my life to be harmonious. And so calibrate my life to your will. Help me to want and desire your will. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I wonder, as the band comes out, I wonder how many conversations Jesus may have had with his cousin. Now, you may not know Jesus' cousins. It was John the Baptist. You may not know that. Uh, some of you have been watching The Chosen, and uh, like me, you now refer to John the Baptist as Crazy John because that's what's on there. And uh, there's some of you who understand that. If you're not watching the shows, you know, check it out. Um, but I wonder how many conversations Jesus had with his cousin. And I wonder if him and John ever talked about prayer. And here's the reason I think that they may have. There was this day that some people were talking to, to John. And, uh, and they're like, hey, you know, you've been pretty popular in the past, but your popularity is going down. And John, imagine, said, you know, what makes you think that? And he said, well, there's this new rabbi. And um, he's teaching also. And you'll never believe this, John, but he's also baptizing people. I mean, that's, that's like your gig. I mean, everybody knows you as John the baptizer. And now he's like stolen your thing. And, and they're giving him a hard time about losing influence and losing followers. And, and John begins to correct them. He begins to talk about how anything good comes from above. And, and then he ends with this sentence in, in, John chapter 30, in John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist says, here's the reality of life. I must decrease, and he must increase. You see, John had the realization that it's not about his will. It's about God's will. It wasn't about what John was doing. It wasn't about his agenda. It was about God's agenda. When we get to a place where in prayer we can calibrate our lives to God's will, 
It puts us in a position where we say, Lord, you increase. Let me decrease. Let your will be my will. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the morning. And thank you that in your word we find the words of life. God, help us to be willing to live lives that are calibrated to your will. In the moments of prayer, when we bow before our Heavenly Father and we exalt your name, that we pause for a minute and calibrate our will to yours. You know, Life Point, um, this has been a tough season around here. Um, even this week, tragedy has struck our faith family, and a few weeks ago, it struck our faith family at CR, and there's, there's family crisis going on in a lot of the seats around this auditorium and in the early gathering as well. And You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, everywhere God does something great, and I think God is doing incredible things in this place and in this family, but there's no one who likes that less than our enemy. And we can very easily get frustrated and we can very easily give up we need to understand that the fight we fight is a fight worth fighting. And as long as there's one more who needs Jesus, we have to stay in the fight. So this morning, I want to invite you, while these guys sing, to just pray a prayer of calibration, not just for your own life, but for the life of this church. That in spite of difficulties and dark times and, and chaos and frustrations and sadness and brokenness and just the feeling sometimes to give up, that not only would we individually, but we corporately, we calibrate our lives to God's will. We'd be willing to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand to your feet. Let's sing together.